This is the Packet Pushers coming to you live in New York. And that is the sound of real life intruding into your sheltered existence. Thanks to Vitella, we have assembled an all-star team of network engineers and architects who have actually evaluated, tested, architect, and survived real deployments of Viptela SD-WAN in their actual real networks. Their tales of survival, their tales of daring do, their tales of feats of magnificence will be regaled to you this evening. And around the table we have Eric Murray and Kyle Alexander from Kindred Health Group. From 77 Energy, we have Gant Estes and Yaren Dykstra. Yes, that Dykstra. We know how to say that because we yeah. talk about <laughs> it so very often. And representing uh, Freedom Pay, Nick Phelps, who works for Moonrock Consulting. Thank you all for joining us. So let's kick off the show. What we want to do is talk about your real-life experiences and uh, how you went about um, selecting or, or some of the things about your software-defined WAN experiences that sort of um, got you where you are today, like deploying this stuff in life. Now, the guys from Kindred, you, you, we originally talked about SD-WAN as being a way of replacing your MPLS links. But on the flip side of this, you're talking about traffic engineering. Tell me what you mean by traffic engineering there. Well, um, and we had uh, a lot of use cases. Our, our CIO has been asking us for four years, why can't I route YouTube over that broadband connection that I'm paying for backup hmm. and you route my Citrix traffic over the MPLS link? And, um, um, and we kept saying, you know, it's, it's not that easy. When we started looking at hybrid WAN, we, wanted, we kept saying we want to find ways where we can selectively route different applications mm -hmm. uh, depending on the health of the environment and what the, you know, how critical the app was yeah. uh, over different types of links. Pretty and, hard to route YouTube by IP address. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, Akamai. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, we, that was one of our requirements, and we wanted to be able to do it dynamically so that if the health of, of an app or health of a particular link mm. was not great, we wanted to be able to fail over to the other link. Yeah. Uh, and we wanted to be able to do, in, you know, QoS on top of that too, per channel yeah. QoS. Because you don't just run YouTube over one link, you might have you know, voice and database and printing services or whatever the hell it is. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, some of the pain points that we have as an enterprise right now is we have a lot of MPLS out there, and as a healthcare, you know, we're, we're trying to keep the cost low. We have free, mm. you know, a, a T1 or two T1s to some, some hospitals or nursing centers. or. But, I mean, the carriers are also pretty brutal with pricing, right? They're, they're not exactly friendly, customer-friendly. No, I mean, it's, mm. it's not cheap, right? No, yeah, and it's not fast. No, it's not. You know, it's not like... And, you know, and, and so you have this issue where you have executives saying, hey, you know, I can get a, a 50 or 100 meg broadband at home and my email is like way faster than I go into this hospital, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the, and the connection's costing six times as much uh, and, and I can't even use my email. Most why, smartphones why is that? faster than you most know, private What's wrong with you guys? You, yeah. you must not know what you're doing. <laughs> I blame I blame Apple because my smartphone's faster than most MPLS right. connections. What about you guys over at Seventy Seven? Did you find the same thing? I was going to say the uh, the issue with the executive team wanting something more than what they have. I mean, that's than what they have at home. I mean, that's where it comes back to is that you know Yahoo is probably the, Yahoo Sports Network, right? Is probably the most important thing right now being in the draft, right? So that's part of part of where we are, right? So I mean, but that's not the only thing. It's it's a number of things that are out there that we got to be able to handle. So definitely a piece of it. Well, yeah. that and the user expectation, right? So the ex expectation for the network is the best experience I've ever had, and anything less than the best I've ever had hmm. is subpar. And the network, the internet's slow. Yeah, and, and that's always the feedback you get. You know, it's the internet's slow. Yeah, that, I mean that's the that's that's the number one complaint that we get is that you know I I, I can get the internet faster at home, and we're we're just constantly getting slowness complaints from uh, all our nursing centers and hospitals and. We have to go in and troubleshoot them on a per-application basis because we know the internet's slow already. But it, the funny thing is that the internet is provably faster, like demonstrably faster when you can have faster access at home. But what people don't think is I've got 100 meg dedicated at home, 100 meg down, and you go into the office and you've got 100 meg shared between 1,000 people. Mm -hmm. But you're right, it's the pricing problem. So getting free of the carriers is pretty important. But I, I know that you guys at 77 Energy, you are also using multiple providers, right, to, or getting free of the MPLS providers to some extent. Yeah, that was the goal. That was the big driver, right? Was to be able to find that lower cost per megabit hmm. uh, and trying to eliminate the uh, the MPLS as much as possible. And in some of those places, they're they're so remote that maybe we can't uh, get rid of it entirely, but we can definitely limit it down to hmm. those applications that require that type of a uh, type of SLA. But when you say remote, what do you mean? 
Well, I'm talking about uh, Pearsall, Texas, right? So it's you know pretty close down to the border, and you basically can't get anything other than uh, a DS3. You know, you can't get Ethernet out there because the facilities just aren't built out to you get 30 year old infrastructure. Right, and I've got one yeah. trench that basically every provider is in, so that one backhoe is going to cut everybody anyway. So, mm. so you, this means you can start to use what multiple MPLS providers or multiple, or internet connections. Well, hopefully, I've got one MPLS can provider. I've got a wireless ISP, and then I've got LTE. So I've got this diverse path, and I've got multiple carriers that I can kind of move that traffic across, depending on who's having a good day and who's having a bad day. And that varies from day to day. Sometimes, I mean, yeah. when we uh, even on our POC, right? So we uh, we put in uh, the the VH device inside of. Uh, well, I can't remember, uh, Midland, Odessa, right? And then uh, we found out pretty quickly just with the information that was given us about the ISP health that mm. we were having a lot of loss from the wireless ISP. Yeah. And so we were able to call them. That was day two. Uh, call them, and then they basically pointed us to a different base station and then cleaned that right up. So, I mean, it was bringing, bringing value and having, you know, just the type of problems that we have with our providers. So, so that's transport independence. You're free of the transport. You're not locked into one provider who's got you by the short and curlies. Right. For a five-year plus five-year contract, you can actually start to negotiate flexibly according. But some of your energy sites scale up and scale down, don't they? They change from week to week, month to month? Absolutely. I don't know if you want to take yeah, that Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things that we, we see is the demand from the business to make changes, you know. So, day-to-day, that change can be, okay, we need a site up here. Now we need this site turned down. We're going to move across town. We're going to move across our region. Mm. And being able to quickly change over from a physical site to another physical site is easy for them. They can pick up their gear and move across town, right? Mm. For us, getting a circuit in there is not easy. So day one, now we can give them whatever is available. So LTE Mm -hmm. or broadband, and then go up from there. So you're finding that to work. So a lot of people say to me, I'm running my application routing and I'm running over LTE or DSL and going, that can't possibly work. You can only possibly have dedicated bandwidth. But you're saying that's like really works? It's really working for us. I mean, that's one of the things I've said this over and over, but the promise was there and it actually delivered on the promise. So you get these sales teams that come in and make a promise Mm. and it's not always what happens, right? And the promise actually delivered in this one. You guys are in the healthcare. You are also using the application routing for security because, you know, you've got this in healthcare, you've got to be really, really quite an interesting problem. One is theoretically that data is a problem because it's health data and everybody wants to keep it safe and secure. But you've also got hospitals which are actually multi-tenanted. Yes. And you probably don't even own all the businesses in those hospitals. No, well, and there's a lot of partnerships uh, or a lot of devices that are provided by vendors. So one of our use cases is that we wanted to run end-to-end uh, micro-segmentation and to be able to isolate that traffic from the remote branch all the way through our WAN infrastructure and then be able to route that uh, at, you know, per our policy or what the requirement was uh, through a firewall or IPS appliance or whatever we want. So, so with our production and uh, deployment, the sites that we've gone into – We've actually put three different segments out there, depending on trust level. We have a, you know, an internal enterprise segment, uh, a clinical network segment for like clinical devices, and then we have a, another segment that we use for just random equipment like door openers, HVAC, etc. Uh, back up on that. So you said micro segmentation, which makes me think of like a data center kind of application. But you're talking about in the WAN, so you're doing WAN. that just with Viptela, or are you doing That's that right. with? A variety of services you're stitching together. No, no, we're doing that just with Viptela. So the way that it works is that with, with the Viptela solution, it's very, very easy to have different VRFs across the fabric. Uh, you just simply go into the configuration and tell it a different VPN number or, or VPN parameter that you want to set up for, for different use cases. And then you can tell your policy through the, through the vSmart policy that before that traffic goes anywhere, uh, that it has to route through a service interface. So we've defined a service interface, which is layer three interface, that we route traffic from that service interface whose default gateway is a Palo Alto firewall. Right. And, you know, Alex, yes, this is Nick. I'm actually looking at the person who put this idea in my head here. And, and so when I was first learning Viptela, that concept of sort of, uh, you know, the multi-tenant, you know, micro-segmentation idea around, uh, you know, the VPN concept was sort of foreign to me you know, as a traditional grumpy old network guy. <laughs> and so at, at first, you know, I didn't want to like it because it didn't make sense and it broke rules. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe that's the reason I haven't liked anything I looked at so far because yeah. it does. <laughs> and I'm looking at the person right now that put the concept in my head, Paul, who said that, um, you know, it's sort of like a global VRF, right? And, and so, you know, traditionally, at, you know, in networking, you create VRFs to segment layer three, you know, environments in the IP network. IP routing spaces for overlapping right. IP addresses. Exactly That's really right. what it was about. Yeah. So if, if you have the idea of a global VRF, right, and that each one of these segments that you create across all of your sites are actually part of 
the same VRF that spans multiple locations. That's the concept you're talking about. There. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's exactly. truly segmentation from a WAN perspective. And what's great about it, though, is in traditional networking environments, you could do VRFs and you could set all that up. But, but the amount local. of configuration and design to carry that from India, you'd have to do MPLS oh, tagging and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's like Every six lines of code in Viptela world, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it's I mean, not it's, like, it's like it's literally like a few clicks. Yeah. Yeah. Just turn it on. I mean, but, but not every device in your network now has to be MPLS enabled. Just the endpoint. No, right? it, it doesn't matter what the it, as long as it's layer three transport. That's all we need. Yeah. It could be like you guys are saying, broadband. It could be MPLS. Could satellite. be internet access, satellite. I mean, just whatever. You know, yep. string up a tin can. <laughs> <laughs> if you can squawk loud enough, <laughs> we should work on that. That would really. Where's Jay Stovall? Yeah. So security. So Nick Freedom Pay security. Obviously, you've got like real money. Well, sure. Electronic pretend money. Sure. But it's Do like, any of us really have real money? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not reality. But I mean, security for you, is that the same sort of game? You know, well, sure. So, I mean, you know, there's, um, you know, the payments industry, you have a lot of, you know, spaces of your network that are sort of independent of each other, right? There's spaces that might reach out to your clients, which are POS terminals, and, and then spaces of your network that might hit back end. Uh, it's funny you know, how POS partners. has a different meaning in different industries. <laughs> sure, the word sure POS is something I normally use to it describe really a certain type of device. My vernacular might differ from yours. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, you know, in the payment space, if we're going to, you know, we're using Viptela not just for an enterprise services mesh, right? Uh, in, in the traditional world, Viptela has some interesting use cases, and that could be for supporting enterprise applications and east-to-west traffic between sites, or like people have talked about here. Um, we're using that, of course, in that capacity, because it, you know, it's, it's, it's a good value. But we're also using it to ride on top of a traditional anycast BGP-produced WAN, right? We want to have active-active data centers that requires a lot of interconnectivity. And if we want to do that between multiple layers of the network, meaning mm. our edge, our PCI zone, our mm. back-end enterprise space, those need to be segmented just as well as those environments are segmented internally. Yep. Meaning that that either requires, one, dedicated links with a lot of ISPs and giving the money to a lot of people we don't want to give money to. A lot of, um, a lot of pointless money. Right, exactly. Yeah. Throwing away a lot of money. Yeah. Or spending that time better engineering the traffic that maybe we make use of our existing links and segment those links based on their purpose across multiple layers of our enterprise. So yeah. it's, it's good for that as well. What about things like encryption? So keep in mind that the overlay network that you're building with an SD-WAN is right. IPSEC or SSL. And, sure. And I think the other thing too is key management in financials. They get really bent out of shape around PKI infrastructure and who owns the private keys. Sure. You know, without getting into too many layers of it, basically the things that are kept private by our local infrastructure, the things that are kept secure by traditional means of the network are not obscured or invalidated by what we're doing with the network overlay. Right. So the same technology that secures anyone's segmentation with inside the core of their network also secures the paths that Viptela builds on top of that network, right. and therefore don't really even get you know taken into consideration when in, you know you're looking at uh, are, are, are we maintaining segmentation? Right? It's the same technology we've used for years, and we're using it in a different way, and it, you know in no way invalidates that model. So do you think? Do you think so? Micro segmentation reduces attack surface. That's the big thing. Absolutely. Is that something that? Pre-impact care is about like yeah, is absolutely that... decreasing visibility to infrastructure. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a you know segmented layers of your network or even go micro segmentation down into the hypervisor, right? Mm. You know, whatever you do there as a construct, you want to be able to maintain that type of segmentation as you're mm -hmm. interconnecting those layers between sites. So whatever you use, whatever you validate, you know, can't just be route based or VRF yep. based. It has to be encrypted the same way that those layers of security and those constructs have already created. It's not. It's it's. Just because you micro-segmented your data center doesn't mean you've secured everything. Absolutely Extending micro-segmentation out to the edge is the thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. If you look at, if you look at what, what PCI says right now, what HIPAA says, and what Sarbanes-Oxley say right now, uh, a private network through VPLS across an MPLS provider is not a means of segmentation any longer, no matter what. You have to okay. encrypt traffic across MPLS, VPLS, any kind of private lit service. Unless you own that glass, you have to encrypt your traffic. So you have to do that on top of whatever you're doing with another solution. Viptela has that built in. It can't build its adjacency without those sorts of encryptions. On top. Without the encryption? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it builds its adjacency through IPsec encryption. Uh, SSL, so, actually. SSL, right, yeah, sure, exactly. Okay. Yeah, right. And then from IPsec from there for the data, data transfer. But the yep. keys are managed separately in a compliant, like, I think... Uh, Yes, Viptela's got a FIPS 140 certification. Right, it's all cert-based, right? So you're not actually messing with those individual keys either. No. So traditionally, that was a giant pain, right? Because you have to actually maintain and perform that key management and custodial service that goes along with maintaining these tunnels. 
Bitella does that based on cert. They're dynamically generated. They're yeah. created based on connection. You have no visibility into Never them. underestimate the price of key, generate, yeah. key management. Absolutely. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys found the same. <laughs> Anyone could look around the room and get a nod on that one. Sure. <laughs> Everybody's nodding. <laughs> right. just never one of the other things, too, is we've talked about how these features work. How much workload does it take to keep this going? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things for us is that we're a small team, right? Mm. So we, you see different parts of the of this of the segment but we're we're in the services side right mm. so margins are really low so therefore nobody wants to spend money on IT so we have a very small staff in comparison to our employee count what we have to do is figure out a way to manage this so we've done this with two people right we're managing our WAN with two network full-time network people yep. that's it Nutella makes that a lot simpler right so and, and and that's the piece of this is is be able to move forward on this right be able to move forward with a low staff and be able to maintain that and actually maintain a WAN with a with a with a solution that actually works and is secure. So what's simpler about that, that you can get that workload uh, handled by, you said two people? Why? Why is it so simple? Well, I think for me it's that centralized orchestration, right? Uh, I have one place where I can manage my templates, my policies, and I can push that out. I'm not having to manage my devices individually like I was before, where you start to see that drift from one device to the next. Um, we have uh, a pretty good IP scheme that allowed us to have a very few templates and then we can just push those out, and then if we make a change to one, we can push that to all of them, to the orchestrator. So that, to me, is, is part of the power, that if I needed to get in and do something individually, there's a problem, I can dive down into there, I can get into a CLI, but I don't have to. Um, mm. If I, you know, what I should be doing day-to-day -day is I'm going through the GUI and I'm just pushing out policy, and it's but, out systemically. How often do you actually have to get into individual device management? Well, I think when we first were, were trying to roll it out, um, and we had very lim limited information that we were able to provide to Viptela, right? We were still um, learning a little bit about our environment and how we were trying to roll these out uh, with a zero touch, and then uh, we had to get in and, and do some small tweaks, but really, once we got it to where we needed it to, to be, we could re-import that, uh, that, that configuration on that device as a template, and then we don't have to do that again. It's really just kind of like a, oh crap, thing. Uh, <laughs> I think a little bit to touch on that is it also does a check and balance. So although you are applying templates to the devices, it will also tell you when a temp or when an end device is actually out of sync or doesn't have the latest sync. So it's another way to also keep that check. Because today you might be able to just do copy and paste templates on a Cisco router or uh, do something else uh, with glue or something else. But it actually does that check. It it automatically maintains that template. So, so unless sanity you, check, it does the sanity check for yes, you. Yes, exactly. Still, yeah. So that so you're not having to have all these systems going out there. Do I have this? Well, it same sounds to me like you wouldn't have to think about keeping track of whether the config has been written or whether something's up to date exactly. or whether something's running. It's just it's doing dumb stuff for you so that you're actually focused on the end game rather than the short game. Exactly. It yeah. has it has like two modes. You can do a CLI mode or a template-based mode. And so long as it's not in CLI mode, right. it will do its checks and balances. What about what about virtual devices? So mostly we've had we still think about deploying WANs as physical devices on sites connected to endpoints. Now, how many of you are still are running VMs? Anybody here running Bipteller in virtual machines? No, not yet. Plan to? Well, I think it's really interesting. If you think beyond uh, what the obvious of, of, of doing traffic engineering over disparate types of transport connectivity, if you look at what Viptela is doing, is that there, there's a reason why vManage Console says secure extensible network when you log in. I think you know, it, it, the roadmap for that looks really interesting when you, when you just read into it a little bit. If they're developing software and they don't care about the hardware, they're not, they're not trying to... Uh, sell boxes that do this magical hybrid WAN stuff for you. They're developing software uh, that allows dynamic creation of secure encrypted tunnels anywhere, right? And so you could put that software on any number of things, right? They do have the virtual appliance, yeah. but I, I think when you think about um, being able to have that virtual appliance run and maybe an infrastructure as, as a service uh, uh, cloud or 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 uh, you know, in an acquisition scenario where you might have another data center where you may just have it run as a VM. Maybe you've got a minor colo, maybe you've or, got a big data center, but or you've got you, a spur out there. Or you even take that further and you think, maybe you know, I'm a medical company and I want to get telemetry or provide equipment, clinical equipment to a partner. It's not even my location. Mm -hmm. And they have a hospital with internet connectivity. 
maybe I could take this telemetry equipment, drop it right in the hospital room, and have it build a dynamic, secure, encrypted tunnel back into my infrastructure. And by the way, I'm going to route that through a service interface and through right. a firewall, and I'm only going to allow it to talk to this database. It's restricted. So you're, yeah. you're again, I mean, you're it, reducing you, the attack surface right the way down. If you think about the possibilities with the software and the groundwork that they're laying, hmm. uh, I mean, you could come up with use cases or ideas all day long about how it would be really easy to gain secure network connectivity anywhere, right. to anywhere, and you have complete control of where it goes, who it sees, and what it can talk to. Yeah, without without even changing your security posture either, because you're, you're, right. you're, like you're building in service ports and you're building in your existing security model, rapidly deploying micro WAN sites for individual applications. Exactly. When have you been able to, in the past, be able to deploy a WAN site just to support one application feed to one database and do it with inside of, you know, 45 days? Right? It's, yeah. ne- it's never happened. Right. <laughs> I wonder, so it, uh, sticking with this question of hardware and software and whether things should be virtualized, let's go around the table and just find out, are you still keeping your routers or are you replacing your routers with VIPTEL or appliances? It, is, it, is that a something that you do or is that something you you're going to do or you know what does that look like in the branch in our early deployment we actually deployed viptela alongside of a cisco router using mm-hmm. vrp because yeah. we could get comfortable with it mm-hmm. and if it didn't work we could just change the priority and bring the other old way back up right uh, now we're going without the cisco routers we're just our requirement for uh, for an sd wan hybrid wan solution was that we wanted a router replacement. We didn't want additional equipment to maintain and support. We want to get equipment out of the facility. But the money worked, like the numbers worked in the first days, though. Right, it made sense to have a router and an appliance until your confidence level got there? Or That, that was never a, a, a money conversation mm, because yeah. we knew we were going to pull the router out. If right. we couldn't pull the router out, then Viptela wasn't going to work. Right, okay. There's nothing interesting to you where you'd want to keep the router because of the magic things that routers do. So terminate the circuit on the router, put the SD-WAN uh, box in front, let it do its thing, pass it along to the router, and then go out the circuit. There's no comfort level there or anything you would think you're gaining that way? I mean, I can do all that on the VIPTELA box. Why do I need another point of failure to do that? Are you guys a, a call manager shop? Oh, uh, we are. Okay. Uh, so, so our desire and our vision, and we actually have uh, quite a number of facilities doing, is centralized SIP. So now we can offer uh, resilient, protected voice traffic over different types of transport uh, and due to the fact that it's that, that you can write the policy based upon the application and you can protect that uh, with thresholds. You know, if you see more than 1% packet loss, right. route the voice over the other way. We have it deployed in SIP sites right now and it's working great. Yeah, that was one thing for us because we were going to be giving up SRST. Yeah, I was going to say SRST is probably a, you yeah. know impact there, right? Yeah, so we went and we talked to our uh, health and safety group and basically we told them, you know, uh, we're kind of able to offer a better um, level of of resiliency here, right? So uh, with SRST, uh, we're a hosted uh, HCS is our solution for our, our, uh, our voice. So uh, SIP in the field wasn't an option. So all we could have was POTS lines, right? So, um, and from a cost perspective, we weren't going to have enough POTS lines to be able to support everyone having to be able to... Uh, it takes three months to provision a POTS line. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and not everyone was going to be able to make a call anyway. So basically we said we've got cell phones, I'm going to give you three different paths uh, out of this site to be able to complete that call from your desk. So they were, they had a better chance of that call being made successfully um, with, with the Vitello solution than what we were already offering with the SRST. What about, what about you, Nick? So a unique mix of both, right? So I work across you know, a number of customers, different use cases. So I have ones that are 100% replacing edge routers at their sites and branches. These are the people that are trying to replace MPLS and uh, connectivity. And so, you know, there's... Um, the, you know the shift there absolutely to get rid of the routers and, and, mm-hmm. and to get you know to make Viptel the edge right yeah. and then you take someone like Freedom Pay that's you know very very different in the sense that they need to maintain a traditional edge for a number of reasons one of them is actually you know reaching the boundaries of what Viptela was comfortable supporting us with from a use case perspective and that's you know that was one of our first conversations too so I'll make this a twofold answer one was that our first conversation with Viptela is that we got a couple of no's right. And, and when do you get that from a new technology startup that's trying to take your business, right? We got a couple of, we don't think we are going to do that. And, and here's how you probably should interact with us because of that answer. Yeah. And, right, and those honesty. are things like... You know, that's a whole new idea. Honesty and What is this honesty thing? You just said no. Wait, you have, you have sales in your title and you just told me no. Wait, okay, we'll keep talking. So that was like, you know, threshold number one we crossed with Viptel, I think the first time we talked to him. And that's right. when, hey, we want to take in a couple of slash 24 public tables and 
do full table BGP, can we replace our edge routers with you? And they're like, yeah, you know, maybe not. <laughs> but hey, can we leverage? Next year. We'll right, have that for you next exactly. year. Yeah, yeah. More RAM. More RAM. So, you know, so, and, you know, but, but to, you know, right on top of that answer, right, was the really good answer of, well, what do you do now to pull in full tables? We say, well, we use Cisco routers. You know, so, okay, great. What if we wrote our AnyCast requirement of pulling in full tables to do an AnyCast mesh active active data center on top of a resilient fabric that, mm -hmm. that Viptela provided us? So when you mean AnyCast in that context, what do you mean? Explain that, just drill into that for the people Being who don't Being able know. to have multiple sites uh, advertising the same slash 24 address space simultaneously and, to the nearest. and resolving based on route metric and the so public. your application is stateless. Absolutely. Once, it, once you route to that, it can just Correct. take the conversation and take the session and work Absolutely. it out there, right? And, and then, you know, in doing so in a PCI world where maintaining state is critical, right? Yes. Well, so, so, having a, so having a vendor to work with that, you know, we talk to a lot of SDF, you know, SDN, uh, you know, vendors. And one of them, you know, first of all, none of them appeared, like you just said, to be like a network appliance, right? You know, with ONP, right, you were, we're able to see a global route table for all of our sites. We're able to do on a, on a vManage, we're able to see route entries for every single one of our VPN endpoints and every single one of our global VRF, right? You know, so we look at that and that, that makes you feel like you're dealing with a network appliance, which is great to be able to fall back on that sort of thing. And then on top of that, they know their limitations in that regard, right? That's not what they're built to do is a, is a, is a gigantic full table WAN. So are they, they're happy to interoperate with people that are. And that's what made it a clear choice for us is that it acted like a network appliance. They knew where they did and did not fit. Um, and we were able to replace and then in some cases not replace our edge with their equipment because of it. And mm -hmm. that made a, a, a solution that went in the way they said it would go in. Yeah. It doesn't... So some people would keep their routers if it made sense. It's not like you can't have them. Absolutely. But it also may not make business sense to keep them there is what you're saying. The cost right. is you get rid of them if, if things work out the right way. Yeah. It was part of our cost justification, right, of bringing it in was, was a reduction of that, you know, smart net contract or whatever other, other contracts we had out there. Okay, so now what I want to talk about is the, the, the night, the sessions that we wanted to talk about is about this cloud. Everybody knows that this tsunami of public cloud is going to come down and, and take everything away from us. Funny how that hasn't happened. Um, those of us who live in the real world know that public cloud is a pipe dream run by young people who work in your Y Combinator by most things. But, but, you, but I mean, you guys at 77 Energy, you've actually done quite a bit in AWS and Azure. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that SD-WAN works for you? Yeah, I don't know. Do you want to start us off? And sure. I I mean, yeah, and we are, I mean, we, we drink the Kool-Aid, right? We are the public cloud customer and, and we don't have on-prem servers and storage and gear, right? Mm. So, so it, was, it was a little odd, even in our initial rollouts of technology a few years ago, to look at more traditional gear in that, for the network side, for the WAN, because it didn't fit with kind of the overall model of, you know, complete flexibility of the cloud, right? And, and I'm putting yeah. that in quotes, right? So, I mean, I think that's, you know, so we did do it. We, we did do the cloud thing, and, it, and it's worked for us, and it's worked for what we needed. Mm. So now this is actually modernizing us, I guess, if you will, to, to the next step in what we're going to do with our land and wind to get our users to that cloud. Right. So, okay, first thing here that I find really interesting is, A, you still need a WAN even though you're in the public cloud. <laughs> right. So, it, which I mean, is not obvious, right? <laughs> Just, not if you're yeah. I, I think if... Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you're if you're if if you're publicly facing with your applications, right, and we're, we're serving up web web content or something like that, but but we don't. All our stuff is really internally consumed mm -hmm. by our users. So, um, being able to get to the internet, to get, and we have traditional applications. So we didn't go out and cloudify all our apps and then put it out there. And, Imagine and, and, that. Yeah. So because <laughs> we had to get it, we had to get it done right, and we had to do it in eleven months uh, for that spin out. So uh, we basically took what we had and we we pushed it into IaaS, yep. uh, and then so we could scale up or down just from a, a cost you know, perspective, but, um, but we had to, more of a, a traditional application base, and had, they had to access it in a traditional way, and so that's where that... So if you've know, got a legacy app like RDP or SQL so, or... I mean, this is know. one of the things we've done, actually. We've actually moved away from having, delivering an ERP, right? We're delivering an ERP into, in public cloud, but we're delivering it with a virtual desktop. So we're delivering virtual desktop to the to the WAN, but I think another piece of this that we're not even calling out on this is also the uh, the phone solution, right? And that's why we've kept the traditional WAN from the beginning, is we set up a phone solution that was traditional as well. Mm. And so it's not. It's but your phone solution, your telephony solution, is hosted, so it is HCS, Cisco yeah. IP telephony, right. and it's still you know a hosted version. You just don't have a call manager on prem. Right. Correct. So all you've got to do is get the traffic to wherever the hosting is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but we yeah, but we've also got these you know SLAs and you know contractual obligations with the HCS provider that we're going to put MPLS in their data center and we're going to bring all that data back. Ah, to, so, okay. 
So you still have to get the WAN into your, and then you cross-link it to the MPLS connection that goes to the HDS. Right, the HDS is just another node on our MPLS cloud. Right. So, and before you would have routed that as just an IP address, whereas now you're creating an SD-WAN mesh, mm -hmm. and that the VoIP traffic then goes, what, directly? It still has to come into the core. Yeah, we'll still have to hub it, right? Yeah. And so that's where like our, our colos that come into that picture. And being able to, to bridge that internet traffic mm -hmm. and that MPLS private traffic uh, seamlessly and easily is where this is really valuable for us. Right. So if you, all your data center is in AWS and you're building a WAN, how do you connect then to AWS? Through the cloud exchange, right? right? So that's where we basically work with uh, the cloud exchanges and AWS to know, okay, so we've got our workspaces up in the east. Where are the connection points that we can kind of hook into that through right. the cloud exchanges? So you don't just, so you're not bringing the, the, the connection in through the AWS front end, you're coming in through the direct MPLS service called Cloud Exchange. Yeah, I mean, for us, it, it wasn't so much necessarily the servers that were the, the primary driver, right? Our, our big driver for us is the workspaces. Hmm. Uh, and we've got to be able to do some content filtering and, and the fact that we're kind of cut off at the knees inside of the, uh, the, the cloud, right? Because yeah. we're abstracted too far away and we can't do uh, multicast or, mm. you know, unicast. Well, we can do unicast, clearly. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, putting a, a traditional network appliance inside of those cloud providers, uh, you're, you're really limited. Uh, yep. And so they really kind of drive home so that vendor lock-in. performance or features? Feature set. Feature set, yeah. yeah. You, so just to kind of highlight that, you're saying that the existing edge of the cloud isn't viable all the time to head-end your cloud connectivity needs Cloud, right? I mean, you need sometimes like traditional network appliance to do that for you, or a traditional type of connectivity to do that. And if you and if you and if you do have a presence in somewhere like a cloud head end that has a cloud exchange, right? right? Who we want to mention mm -hmm. or not? But that's you know, if if you have a presence, great. If you, if you don't, you're kind of at the you know mm -hmm. beholden to whatever edge Microsoft or Amazon or whoever offers you, right? Right. Well, actually, even more than that, it's the carriers, right? Right. Which there's a, and there's, there's a, a cost. There's yeah. a cost and a and a adder and cost as well curve. as. If, and, and a technology learning curve for them, not just for us, right? Yeah. So, and, and that's something that we've encountered multiple times. And so being able to extract away from that and getting to the point where we're more of a cross-connect into a cloud yeah. versus an MPLS connection into a cloud makes a huge difference for us. So, the, so now Nick, you've done something similar and you've got the same pain points. And we were talking earlier about this. And basically what you're saying is that Azure and AWS, the way that you connect to them is basically a mess. Yeah, it, you know, it, 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 you know, not to devalue any offering that's out there, right? But I mean, anyone that's done any engineering into Azure or AWS or you know, SoftLayer or any of them yep. knows that you have to deal with whatever feature sets are available to you in their API-driven edge, mm -hmm. which we all know they're going to account for the 90th percentile of whatever the requirement is, and oftentimes the, the unique needs we have fall into that 10 percent that's not mm -hmm. supported. And you know, so all of a sudden, places like Equinix, it makes sense to stand up a network. You know, dedicated head end, right? Yep. That's cross connected into a cloud exchange. And if you don't, and so have you the, run your SD WAN yep. into that some some part of your into a head end, into, right. into a into a node, right? You right, know, or a senior node that's closely connected to a cloud. That's directly connected. It's in Equinox, and then yep. Equinox has got the direct connect in the case of AWS and Azure. It's called a. Express route. Express route. Yeah, so yeah, right. Express route direct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So Equinox is one of the preferred suppliers for both Azure and AWS. They right. have the big fat pipes that go into those clouds. They've got locations that are absolutely high speed, low latency connections directly. Supernap is happy to play there as well, I believe. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Supernap is happy to play there, and lots of places are happy to play there that are actually riding on top of Equinix services, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at a lot of partners like Digital Realty and these guys out there that have you know cloud offerings in their data centers that actually just cross connect back into Equinix, mm -hmm. and the reason for those is that you can't always deploy exactly what you need to, leveraging built-in services to these cloud edges. Yep. And what people don't realize until you actually get in the thick of these cloud deployments is that it all looks great, right? And, and until you have outages and latency and uncontrollable yeah. traffic patterns yeah. right. and no support for multicast in the edge for redundant devices to get your traffic in and out of the network. Right. You have to sometimes extract that out of there, and to do that is costly until you start looking at cloud exchanges or yeah. other things that you can layer on top. Connectivity is less expensive. So let's into. talk about how you do that, right? Yeah. So now you've got a rack in Equinox. You've mm -hmm. got what? Routers? FTELA deployments? What? Sure. So, in, so in, in, in the cases that I've seen, a typical deployment would be a couple of nice switches, a couple mm -hmm. of 10 gig switches, and a couple of FTELA appliances. It's really all you need. Your sites get adjacency through either the point to point connections you buy to the exchange, mm -hmm. yep. internet connections to the exchange, mm -hmm. and then your switches back connect you into the cloud exchange that actually cross connects you to the cloud yep. or whatever it might be. You go to Equinox and say, give me a 10 gig port that's a direct connect. And you're adjacent to 28 clouds. Yep. And you're adjacent to 28 clouds, just about every provider you want, and 200 out of the top 200 providers in the world. Right. 
Nick, and I'm then, curious if you've used uh, the Viptela devices in like the multilateral peerings, like uh, from Equinix. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and so the way that we've seen that go so far, and this is this is not based on any validated design or the way that anybody's doing anything best because no one's developed those yet. Uh, these are all based on things that we've you know you know tried and, and, and found to work well. Um, is you know most of those are handed off to you through the cloud exchange with a Q and Q tunnel. Mm. So like your direct connects, your express routes, mm. your API keys from Salesforce is another access and service offering. They get terminated to a Q and Q. And we've taken those Q and Qs and basically directly made those adjacent to VPN interfaces on the Viptela. So those become routes in the network and nodes in the network as part of a VRF. We're able to advertise those routes. Um, and both sides of that are a, are a well-supported deployment. And it, and it works really well. Cool. Yeah, so the adjacency is strictly layer two to, you know, to layer three interface based on VPN endpoint. And then you're feeding that into a Viptela appliance, which exactly. then maps into the overlays that Oh. Yeah, and all of a sudden Azure becomes an endpoint with a VPN and a VRF, just like any of your WAN sites might or anybody else. And you don't have, and I think, from, if I'm thinking about this as, as you're describing, because I'm still thinking mm. about this on the fly, that, that um, segment overlay. It's that, a VPN that, instance. It's a, that, it's a, you know, yeah, the VPN that's a instance is, is then effectively is a, is a mapped to a Q&Q tunnel. Correct. And that Q&Q tunnel has only one place out. Right. That's your Azure. That's our that's, Azure instance. That's your Azure instance. So we're SSL Azure. all the way to the Viptela box, and then yep. we're Q&Q straight through to a you know, Q1Q tunnel that's sitting there on, on the other end of, 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 of Azure. Right. That's exactly. the best you can, yep. yeah, you can do whatever. And then you like. what you realize that cuts out is all of a sudden, the you know, whenever you buy uh, an MPLS connection to go to Azure, right, it requires an MPLS leg to you, yep. an MPLS leg to level three's pop, yep. an MPLS leg from level three's pop back to level three, and then another one back into Azure. You pay for it four times. Yep. Um, and I can get corrected by anyone who works for level three that you only pay for it twice. That's fine. <laughs> Look at the bill. You pay for it four times. <laughs> and then, so but keep in mind it's complicated. For every bite that you move in or out of a cloud, you're being charged, right? Yeah, sure. Well, it's free to go in, actually. It's, it's, it's the egress. Yeah. So, so the egress right. cost is, is not cheap. No, so all I'm pointing right. out is that your MPLS circuit gets replaced by a handoff that's 10 gig or 1 gig into a cloud exchange. Yep. Your express route key gets associated to it just like you would an MPLS connection except you pay for one drop. So, all, so I can imagine, let me just tell me if I'm right here, right? I can imagine that all of a sudden Azure or AWS in the WAN just becomes a, 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 a pop, a point, an endpoint like any branch. or sure. like It's just another branch. Right. But you could partial mesh or full mesh, right? You, you're Absolutely. Not, so let, you talked earlier about running partial meshes or full mesh architectures. Like normally people think of a WAN as a full mesh. Every branch sure. talks to every branch. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But that's you're actually doing multi multiple architectures inside of a single WAN environment. Yep, and, and, and that's, that's actually part of the beauty of Viptela. So you can make a site to say that I have membership to these, you know, these VPNs, or call them VRFs like people have been yep. referring to them as, right? You have membership to those VRFs. If a site or a segment doesn't have membership to that VRF, it cannot see adjacency to its other end of that hmm. VRF, right? So you could have, say, a site that's your data center and then maybe a secondary data center site. And those could have memberships to every VRF, right? And that includes your WAN edge VRF, you know, for if you're doing Anycast, for example. Or you could have branches or other you know, headquarter offices that only have VPN interfaces that are relevant to the traffic they need to be adjacent to. And, and you can select that really yeah. easily with Viptela. So it doesn't take any kind of crazy, you know, witch doctory to, 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 to come up with a solution that's segmented <laughs> and drops yeah. off certain segments and yeah. not others. I mean, it's real easy. You either give membership to it or you don't. So your core sites have membership to everything. Your edges have membership everywhere. And you're, what about and one of the things I, one of the, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're talking about doing um, localized internet breakouts. Ah. So instead of just running everything back to one point in the network, they're actually running internet egress at any point in the network. Like, explain that for me a little bit. I mean, I think that's the next next evolution for us is going down that path of not having to take it, not have to haul all that traffic back, right? Yeah. Again, talking about cost, talking about just design efficiency, right? Yeah, I, I think for me though, there's a little bit of the concern on maybe the security side. I mean, um, if we're going to split tra split that traffic out local to the site, then how are we doing content filtering? How are we doing any kind of inspection? Hmm. You know, maybe at some point we get, we get away from that. But right now, you know, we're running that all through our our Palo Alto firewalls to be able to kind of get that warm fuzzy hmm. feeling. But what about cloud filtering? Would you think about multiple egress and then do the content filtering in the cloud, like some like managed a Zscaler service? or something like that? Yeah, or? like a, well, like a managed service that just. I mean, we've looked at OpenDNS, we've looked at Zscaler, we've looked at other yeah. cloud firewalls, if you yeah. will. And, and that, that'll that be what we likely POC, if you will, yep. as we progress towards that, play, that point. No, I mean, there's we've some had companies doing cloud-based content filtering. What's that? There are companies doing cloud-based content filtering. Yeah. Sure. And okay. you just egress it via a proxy, but... 
Yeah, I, I think we've had better we've had better luck with SaaS than we have managed services. Mm. So for me, that's a little bit of a red flag. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, it's mm. just maybe there's there's more constraint there, but it's like you kind of know what you're going to get, and as long as you you're forced yeah. to stay within those lines, so there's a level well, of SaaS is, SaaS is often better defined than a managed service. Right. So managed services often allow too much flexibility. Yeah, and you get you in trouble. And get you into trouble because you ask for stupid stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pointing at myself, I can't see that. But now, one thing that we talked about is. Uh, uh, one of the things I've talked about in terms of SD-WAN is you can get an ROI out of SD-WAN in year one. Anybody want to argue with that? I won't argue no, with seriously, that. anybody. Would you... Would you, yeah. you know, no one's arguing with it because you all agree with the point. That, yeah, that was the big business driver for us, yeah. right? It wasn't necessarily the reduction in our hardware. The, the ROI was going to be the reduction in those operating costs yeah. from our, our service providers. Right. So I've not often thought about the long-term future of SD-WAN. You know, what does it look like in five to ten years? Do you have a vision for that? Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of touched on it earlier uh, about having uh, the software run on different types of devices and having uh, the, the ability to create dynamic, secure tunnels to any endpoint, regardless if they're on your MPLS network or, or in somebody else's data center. Um, I do want to touch on something you guys were talking about, though, because we've headed down this path before about uh, taking Internet traffic off at the branch. And uh, we did some investigation on that, and, and the realization that we came to is that there is a big sacrifice in security for doing that. You can, uh, the more robust security and services like Zscaler or some of these other tunneling solutions to do cloud-based firewalling, mm. you end up paying for the data on their end anyways. Yeah, so, so, you're, so second, you're doing that second run anyway, right? That's, right, that's right. the challenge we've had in conversations as well. It, yeah, and it's the same thing. And you can do some cheaper content filtering solutions, but then you're losing the firewalling and the visibility that you yeah. get. Uh, just, just a comment that you know, yeah. I had based upon what you guys yeah, were It's about. the debate of where that cost is, right, and where that right. transport <laughs> is, and how do you get rid of it. It, or can you reduce it at all? I mean, and, and that's the now, challenge. Now, yeah. now, now we, we're at the we point where split, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have some split yeah. tunneling in our environment, and, and we're actually going the other way, trying to get it more and more centralized. Well, I guess if you can reduce your WAN costs to the point where trunking it back to the data center doesn't actually cost you that much. That's exactly the right rid, answer, it, right? It stops being the problem. Exactly. Right. If, you can, if you can take your costs down so low that it doesn't matter, you're not using expensive connections to make that, to make that run, yeah. then you're... Then it, it doesn't Bring matter, it right? Doesn't matter. You can make a decision yeah. which way to go. And, it's, and, and the cost a, is not on the remote. I mean, the remote side connectivity, that's where the cost is on the connectivity because you can get good-sized host connections and good-sized inter, you know, internet connections in your data center. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can double the bandwidth on them. And it's, I mean, yeah, they're, they're thousands of dollars a month, but when you spread that out over hundreds or thousands of sites, it's not really that much money. When you start increasing the connectivity at 1,000 MPLS sites... Mm -hmm. With traditional networking, uh, yeah. then then that scales so why, the price yeah. way up real yeah. quickly. Yeah. So the, so I guess what you're saying there is, even if you did localized breakout onto a hundred meg internet service of that local point, right? It, you could still use that hundred meg service to just trunk it back to your data center. That's exactly through what the I'm security saying. infrastructure, and then that security infrastructure is scaled up. Well, you, yeah, the, the, the cost of that you, you got your single site. tool set, you got your single IPS policy that you're managing, you, you got your security team, you got your SOC looking at all the traffic, yeah. you got the content filtering, hmm. you know, you got all of your tools that you're used to having. I mean, we believe in, in an environment where we have lots of internet connections yeah. uh, and entry points into the network, we yeah. believe the fewer actual entry points into the network or exit points in the network, uh, the better off you are. You're not going to do DLP no. when, you, when you're breaking it off. No. Not very easily Why? when you're breaking it off at the yeah, branch. Because you're paying for DLP per device, not per megabit. Well, but, and, but, and you've got to have a solution. Yeah, you've got to have a yeah, product in play. What about the long-term, coming back to the original point about SD-WAN, what's your long-term vision for SD-WAN? How do you see it playing out over a five to ten-year horizon? I think it'll continue to, to, to evolve uh, and, and be like what we were talking about with, with being able to have dynamic tunnels to any endpoint, uh, and then maybe at some point it will just dissolve hmm. like this this concept of private network clouds. I mean, if you think about all you really need is reliable transport and you can do secure encrypted traffic from anywhere, hmm. and, you know, we're going to have more and more devices uh, on, the, on the network, then bring that in uh, into a hybrid WAN scenario and you don't even care about the Layer 3 transport anymore, and then you tie that in with, with some of the software-defined data center stuff that you can do, hmm. uh, it, like our, our use cases where we have acquisitions and integrations that we're doing with overlapping address space. And, mm -hmm. and, and right now, we're back to what you were talking about with the site IDs uh, and having different policies for different site IDs, we have two data centers we're running right now 
Uh, and we have a bunch of sites that we had set that up exactly so where we could have a certain line of business that had conflicting IPs and different applications going to a data center that had conflicting IPs and different applications uh, alongside our production sites, uh, our non-acquisition sites, uh, uh, running on the same Viptela solution using the site IDs and policy that was really easy to set up with these global VRFs, what's allowed to talk to what, and we have those sites preferring the second data center. Yep. where the overlapping address space is, uh, and we can, we can have those sites talk to everything they need to talk to uh, by using that kind of policy. So well, your SD-WAN is, yeah. is not a puppy? No. It's not like it needs constant no. maintenance and grooming. I, I, have a, I have a meme. I'll have to throw it in here because they cut it out, mm. but, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a meme. <laughs> that it's, it's got a picture, and it says, yo, if you got a problem, Viptela ice will solve it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe getting a little far, but I'll, I'll, I'll let it I like how you say you have to throw it in because they cut it out. <laughs> no, no, they didn't really cut it out. We just ran out of time. So what about you guys at 77 Energy? Long term, do you think this is going to run? This has got legs. Like you haven't just, you've made money by not spending it. Long term vision. So I've got I've got two thoughts on that. One is yes, I think I mean I think it's the I think it's the future now. It's going to evolve. I think over the next few years we're going to see a lot of evolution there. So yes, I think it can definitely play. Number two is is it it's it's inexpensive and saves us so much money on other things. I'm willing to take the risk that it isn't the long term, even if it yeah. does for the midterm. So you made money so quickly out of the first one that it was worth the punt, but you're starting to see a long term. Like you know, think you know where it's going. I think I think it's absolutely the. the I'll, I'll say it's the future, right? I mean, I think I think it is the future. I think mm. this way, this simplicity and the ability to do this type of uh, network on the fly at a at a reasonable cost, being able to take advantage of whatever transport you have, mm-hmm. is the future. Is there any indication that when you guys have dealt with your carriers that they're going to drop pricing in reaction to this? Uh, Absolutely. We, we've already had that meeting, as a matter of fact, actually. It's like, where it's was this three years ago? how they are to that once they find out what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's as big a threat to the carriers as it is to some of the you know, incumbent manufacturers, right? So, I mean, that, that was their whole thing when they came in was, you know, you guys don't need to do this yourself. It's way too complicated. Here, we have a, we'll reduce all your costs of your circuits, and we'll just manage it for you, right, and just really lock you in. And kind of looked at each other and we're like, that, that's not going to work. Mm. We can do this better, and we can do it cheaper than you, way better so you None of you were able to get your incumbent products to work? Like, none of your existing routing of assets could do this? No. I mean, so we were a Greenfield spin-out, right? Um, and then right in uh, the beginning or middle of 2014, so uh, there was a, a manufacturer that has green in their, their mm. logo um, that we, we tried for about a year and a half to get, and we couldn't get to an endpoint, right? So... Mm. Uh, we got a early deployment. It didn't match the CBD, and we were trying to work backwards from there to get it in, and we yeah. just could never get it to work. And then we started our POC. We had a couple phone calls. We filled out some network drawings. The SE came on site, and in one day, we were doing what we couldn't do in a year and a half. And that, to me, was was really just kind of made the, made the case for it. Yep. Same? Oh, you've, yeah, got, you've got this regretful smile on your face that sort of suggests... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we spent probably over a year with another solution. and uh, we, we could get it to work, but it took a lot of duct tape to get it going. Yeah. And um, the, the best thing that we can say is we took one of those sites that was running on that, put Viptel in there, and the site thanked us. Nah, that doesn't happen every day. Yeah. Were, you able, to ever, were yeah. you able to ever really take advantage of broadband or other connectivity with it? Uh, it, it said it, but it didn't actually... Uh, diversify the the traffic. <laughs> there there was flows running over both connections, whether they were exactly what we wanted at that particular moment in time, or if both of them were actually active at the same time. Gosh, <laughs> whoa! <laughs> Do you want to follow on to that? Yeah. So, so, so I'll make two points, I guess, real quick. One, that's a really interesting point that you made about whether it's the long-term strategy or not. It saves you enough pain in the near term. You're willing to invest because it's worth it, whether it's the long-term strategy or not. I, I think as a partner for a lot of you know different companies in this SD WAN, SDN space, I find myself a lot of the time in that role of 
am I a technologist or a therapist or a priest, right? <laughs> Trying to help people make sense of whether or not the barrier of entry is worth it, right? To STN get into something. therapy. There's a whole new... <laughs> STN therapist. I have my car. I'll be here all evening. Um, I have a quiet room in the back. And so, and so, you know, what I find a lot is that, right? Do I, can I justify this barrier of entry? So hearing you say what you said is, is really interesting. It kind of validates a lot of the discussions I'm having in that mm. space. And, and, and one... I think I think this in whatever incarnation it is in, right, will be the future of whatever we're dealing with here. It's you know abstracting um, the decision and the control away from the you know the ISPs that have been dictating how we engineer WAN solutions for a long time is, is going to be the future of how we engineer solutions. We're going to start consuming bandwidth based on architecture, not architecting based on available products for bandwidth. Yeah, and I think that's an important corner to turn. All right. Well, I think we might have just about done this live in New York business to death. So before we go into thanking everybody for being here today, why don't we go around the table and tell us who you are and where you work. I'm Eric Murray, Consulting Network Engineer at Kindred Healthcare. Can people find you on the internet or do you hide? Yeah. No, I'm not totally hidden. Um, <laughs> I, I, you can find me on LinkedIn. Okay. I'm Kyle Alexander. I also work for Kindred Healthcare. I'm a Senior Network Engineer. Uh, much like Eric, I do not hide, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Fair enough. And I'm Gant Estes with 77 Energy. I'm a network architect there. Um, I'm not very active on the, the Twitters or the social media, so, uh, but I am on me LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jaron Dykstra with 77 Energy. I have responsibility for infrastructure there. And uh, at Jaron Dykstra on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, I contribute to Best Tech Bio as well. Hey, Nick Phelps with uh, Moonrock Consulting. Uh, you can find me at uh, www.moonrockconsulting.com. LinkedIn as Nick Phelps and Twitter as at Moonrock Consulting. Uh, real easy to find. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. And once more, thanks to Viptela for sponsoring today's show and uh, taking us to New York and letting us put on a live show with their customers. It takes a lot of, a lot of guts from the, from the vendor's point of view to be able to do that. And I also really, really want to thank you guys for taking the time and the energy to come on the show and... Uh, you know, it's not easy to get up there in public and say stuff, so let, thanks for that. And to you, the audience, thanks for listening to Packet Pushes today. A very special thanks to Viptela Network for making this live show possible and finding real people to come and talk about their networks. It's pretty cool to be able to do that. You can visit packetpushes.net for this and all of our shows and other free resources like our community blog, virtual toolbox, and our newsletters. We have a whole range of newsletters that you can subscribe to and get a bunch of gumph in your inbox on a regular basis just in case you hadn't had enough. Follow us on Twitter, is at Packet Pushes. Find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook, and rate us on iTunes. And last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough. <laughs>